Hello and welcome back to Two Bar Stools and a Knife, talking about the hospitality industry then, now, and in the future. From FIU Chaplain School of Hospitality and Tourism Management and the Bacardi Center of Excellence, I'm Professor Nathan Dodge, joined by Professor Brian Connors and Chef John Noble Massey. Gentlemen, hello. Start your engines. Fabulous, John Noble Massey. Was that a horn I just heard, Brian? Yes, yes, yes. I'm I'm in the belly of a right now so this is a true story i'm coming home from my honeymoon and i didn't want to miss our amazing guest today so i had to join you via from uh, uh leaving the ferry from block island rhode island right now you are so freaking awesome that is awesome yeah. well we are, closing, we are closing rum month out and we have an impressive guest we've got david sill on today who's the master of rum i guess we have to call him maestro is that the, the correct term? maestro <laughs> well basically <laughs> Every, we can start that today. Yeah, yeah. that's our new Maestro. thing. Maestro David, yeah. Maestro like David. Well, basically every Bacardi product that's been released in the past five years or so, um, David's had a major part of. So we're looking forward to uh, to this part of the podcast. Brian, I know that you're on a ship, but uh, can we talk about Bacardi World? What's going on? You know, I'm going to use a couple of Nathan Dodge puns. You know, Bacardi World is sailing along quite nicely. As always, you like that one. Our I Bacardi did, did. Teach is always available. We got some new projects coming up with that. Uh, I love the fact that we're going to be able to team up with other educational institutions. Watch out for this pun because all ships will rise with the incoming tide. So we got some new stuff going on with that. Also, our next Bacardi Talks, October 8th, with legendary restaurateur, creator of Nobu, creator of Tribeca Grill. And the list goes on from there. Drew Neofal, who's partnered up with some amazing people. Uh, but Drew is an amazing supporter of South Beach Food and Wine Festival. So we're looking forward to having Drew come on. I stalk him every year at Sobe. So this year when I stalked him, I said, you, we got to have you do something. He goes, I'd love to help you out. So we're looking forward to that as well with Drew. Uh, classes are beginning soon. Anytime you have any questions regarding anything with Bacardi, the Bacardi Center of Excellence, feel free to reach out to me at bconners at fiu.edu or, of course, Christina or Professor Dodge with any questions you might have. But, uh, you know, I'm looking forward, guys, to get this uh, semester started up. But you know what? I'm looking more forward to this conversation we're about to have. So what do you think? Without further ado, should we introduce the maestro? We should, but I have one question first. Um, <laughs> With, with your buddy Drew that we're having on, is he going to bring any of his friends? Do you think we might have? I'm working like, on it. I, I'm working on Bobby De Niro. And, Bobby? Well, I don't know about the Bobby. Nah. I call him Bobby. Bobby. Well, you know, yeah. we'll just tell everybody. And then at the very end, we'll yeah. say, ah, he couldn't make it today. It's always yeah. extra people. I'm going to get some tricks up my sleeve, just like we did last time with Elizabeth Plow, which is also available on podcast now. Mm-hmm. All right. So like uh, Brian said, without further ado, we're going to we're going to kick this off with David Sill. David, sir, how's it going? How is what is it like working as, you know, the master of rum? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, uh, everyone, thank you for having me. It's uh, great to see you all and, and to uh, speak with you. So um, thank you for having, having me. It's a great privilege and pleasure. It's fun. Uh, that's that's really how I can kick that off. It's uh it's a fun uh, opportunity that was given to me and great opportunity that I take advantage of. Um, I give it my all. It's, uh, it started off with a journey that started off as an ambassador for Party Rum. And um, that was way back in like 2008. And the, the industry was in a different place back then. Uh, big brands were in a big place, uh, in a different place back then as well. So it wasn't the easiest job in the world. 
back in 08 to represent big brands. And, uh, but, you know, through transparency and clear messaging and being um, approachable and, and just uh, speaking as truthfully as you can, right, about everything that we do, uh, we were able to break, uh, break ground. So back in 2012, that's when things started to change. And the, the first step towards Master of Rums really, uh, really took place. And I'm pretty sure we're going to talk about some of the stuff that I've worked on. But that was when uh, we worked on the Facundo Rum Collection, which is our luxury uh, rum brand. And from there, just... I just kept working on other new premium rums, and that's really where my focus lies at, at Bacardi. I work with the older age products and setting what it began with setting the stage for what eventually became our premium rums portfolio and working with the master blenders in designing the uh, the blends as well as working with the brand teams and the marketing teams in designing the brand. And that encompasses everything from uh, naming to the nomenclature on labels to the messaging to the advocacy tools and educational tools and of course outside of Bacardi I also do education as well on sugarcane on um, sugarcane spirits uh, specifically and give lectures in universities so I've done you know I haven't had the pleasure yet of of uh, partaking at FIU I look forward to it but uh, University of New Haven the Basque Culinary Center in uh, northern Spain has also um, invited me to give talks there. And these are just some of the, the universities and, and higher education um, places that I've participated in. So it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of learning. And the title, you know, it's, uh, it's something that I, I get a lot of jabs about. But um, it was an honor because my mentor, uh, Maestro Manny Oliver, who's now retired, uh, blessed me with that title, which to me is an honor because to have your mentor believe in you to the point where he can, you know, say, hey, yeah, that title is yours. It was a great, great, great honor for me. So I, I, I wear that badge with, with some pride. <laughs> that's that's great. David, so uh, let's jump back a little bit, though. So you're originally from Puerto Rico. We know yeah. you went to uni- university there. We know you did some time uh, working with Marriott. Talk yeah. a little bit about your your transition, you know, and kind of, particularly for our student listeners. And I know we have a lot of industry on listening as well. But, you know, how did you make those steps uh, in those early years? And talk a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Sure, sure. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I was born in Puerto Rico. I grew up outside of Puerto Rico, but went back for, for college. And obviously, I spent summers there and et cetera, et cetera, with my, with my dad. It, it's funny because I actually, I studied, I, I went to middle school and high school that were uh, vocational training. So I'm, I'm actually, I started carpentry, HVAC, and then I had an uncle who was a mason. My stepdad was a master electrician. So I grew up, uh, you know, using my hands and, and more in the trade than anything else. In trade work. And I actually got into tech early on back in the 90s. And yes, I am that old. Um, so I, I dabble into tech a little bit. And then I, trans- I was doing hospitality as a way to pay for college. So I ended up taking that as my career path with the goal of becoming a GM. So I, you know, I was a server paying for school and everything else and started moving up the ranks. I, I, I did some assistant controlling. I, I became a purchasing manager. Then I went back to the front of the house, you know, restaurant manager up until, you know, assistant restaurant uh, director and assistant F&B director. And it was, a, it, it was, it was fun. I don't think the hotel industry is necessarily for everyone. So I think that, you know, for your students, it's, it's great to, to have a passion and go to school specifically for hospitality. That means that it's genuine. And, and I think that that's what the industry needs. It needs people who, who want to be in it and not just fall into it. 
Uh, and if you fall into it, find something to love in it because there's a lot to love. Uh, in my case, it was a matter of I started becoming more and more focused on the beverage side of things, even with my administrative responsibilities. I had I had more affinity for like the wine programs that we were building. I had more affinity for, you know, um, I'm, I'm telling you, like back in 1998, at um, one of my properties, um, we designed a Birdstone martini program because martinis were big and everything else. So the VIP guests, if, if it was their birth month, the amenity was actually all the ingredients to make a martini that was the color of their birth zone. And I'm talking about late 90s. So this is way, way before, uh, you know, all this stuff was trending in terms of mixology. So I always had an affinity for, for creativity within the beverage side of things. So uh, what happened was that I found myself in Schaumburg, Illinois, uh, a deep winter, you know, because it barely snows out there. <laughs> you know, and um, I was interested in spicing things up and having, an, you know, finding something new to do. Um, and I was debating whether I was going to take on another property or if I should just look outside. And I came across this opportunity, which it, it, it didn't name the company. It just said person should know about rum and be interested in rum and it would be about rum education, et cetera, et cetera. And I grew up around sugarcane and rum has been in my life. Not that I was consuming it, but I've been exposed to the production of rum or the production of sugar since I was around 10. And of course, moonshine from sugarcane as well, um, because that's very, you know, every country kind of has its moonshine culture, if you will. In Puerto Rico, we call it pitorro and cañita. It, it definitely caught my attention. After applying, went through an interview process that took precisely six months, believe it or not, and I landed the ambassador role. And I was working with some really, really cool individuals. Um, ambassadorship was very relatively new. It was relatively new for, even for Bacardi, even though they had had it for a few years. But for the brand Bacardi, it was relatively new. And we, we built the program from scratch. There was a template. And then my team uh, of peers and I uh, kind of set the path of what's the best route to go, right? Rather than being a and respectfully, right, uh, marketing soundboards. Um, we wanted it to be as authentic as possible, as transparent as possible. And that transition from hotel to Bacardi, well, first of all, I think you should always go for what you're passionate about, you know, to answer your question, you know, directly. The other thing is uh, it, it, should be, it should be something that you know you can add value to because we, we, we constantly talk about value, right? And that can mean many different things. But one of the best ways that I evaluate whether or not the next move is, is going to be good is whether or not I add value to that and what value it adds to me. So sometimes it adds more value to your career, and that's fine, but it should add value to your, 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 your self-worth of a balanced life. And that's something that we tend to forget maybe my generation, maybe the millennials don't have that problem. Supposedly, they care more about work-life balance. So probably that's first on their list. But definitely, my for me, it, it was something that I was I typically would have put to the side when I was relatively younger. But I, it, it is one of the things. What value do I bring to the to the role? What value does this does this uh, job opportunity bring to me professionally, personally? And there has to be that that formula. Nothing can be close to zero. It, it needs to be balanced for me to make that choice. So my personal life experience in terms of my relationship with sugarcane and then my professional experience in terms of working in hotels and focusing on beverage opened that door for me to land the role at, at Bacardi. 
what happened at Bacardi, I think, is much more interesting, which is how do you progress? How do you open more doors once you're given an opportunity? Because I think that a lot of times we we celebrate ourselves, which is rightful, right? You have to celebrate yourself. The world is a tough place if you are going to sit down and wait for everybody else to celebrate you. And, you know, for a promotion to come by because somebody's going to look at you and say, hey, you you got this promotion. Um, you're going to be waiting for a long time. Uh, you have to go out there and get it. That The hustle is always real. No matter how far up you go, you have to stay hungry. You have to stay passionate. And you have to demonstrate what you bring to the table. And one of the things that I did at Bacardi that really opened this door for me to work closer with the blenders was that I never went to the master blenders. I never went to Manny Oliver, Maestro Oliver. I never went to him with a question, with just a question. You know, I, I never was like, so when you're distilling, what's going on? You know, what's what plate are you extracting from or whatever? I would always come in with a piece of knowledge that would set up the question. And that way I demonstrated that I did my homework. I was doing my own research. I was, you know, definitely learning the craft. And then what he would do it when I asked the question, then he could build upon what I already commented upon. And at the same time, it also kind of was a way of, don't lie to me. <laughs> you know, don't, don't, don't beat around the bush. I kind of did some reading here. So what that did was it really opened up a lot of doors because what I earned their trust by coming to the table with information. Because I also came back because I was traveling the world. And this is a time where, you know, there weren't that many rum reports or stuff like that. You know, the, the IWSR wasn't really as, as thorough as it is now, which they do a great job. Um, so I would come back and say, hey, listen, I've been traveling, you know, the Western Hemisphere, and this is what I'm seeing as trends within rums that are growing or producers that are growing or producers that are gaining traction in terms of brand awareness or gaining space in the drink side. And the, the whole purpose of that was for them to get a glimpse into the profiles that were definitely growing in, a, you know, in terms of affinity by the either the consumer base or the bartenders. And so, David, let me interrupt you just for a second. Last week, we had on Juan Coronado on the show, and he was, you know, he's he's from Dominican Republic, talking a lot about the same stuff you're talking about, just growing up in that rum culture with the the smells of molasses and the sugar cane and everything else. And, you know, I've been down to Cuba, I've been to Haiti, I've been to Dominican Republic, and I've I've experienced this. And and so has Brian. I, I John, you've done done any of the rum tours? Oh, of course. Yeah, I've, I've been to the Bacardi factory in Puerto Rico. And okay. That was just amazing. And you, and so to hear David talk about growing up around sugar cane and and being involved in, in that, you know, you, yeah, can, no, you it can really see is, bits and pieces of it there. It's an amazing thing. And, um, you know, I was already checking my calendar while you were talking, David, and October 20th in my class um, is rum day. So I'm expecting you 11 a.m. on a Zoom. Uh, We'll make sure that we'll send that to you. But um, you were just talking about industry trends and Mm -hmm. and how you were identifying industry trends back then. What industry trends are you seeing right now in in the the land of rum? Because when I go to the the liquor store, I see, you know, I, I go to Total Wine and there's a thousand bottles. Right. Really, right. what am I, what should I be looking at? What is the industry looking at when it comes to rum? Well, it's, uh, it's an interesting time right now because we're in the midst of uh, what I call COVID season, right? Uh, sadly. Um, so th- trends are a little bit skewed, but I can definitely speak to some of the trends 
over the past couple of years and leading into, you know, 2020. What, what is different now to, to when I started? Uh, definitely a lot more rum brands are available here in the U.S. that are more on the premium side if we look at premium as a price point bracket, right? So uh, rums with higher price points, rums with authentic older ages, rums with cast finishes are, are definitely much more predominant now. Uh, th- these are things you didn't see 10, 15 years ago. Back 10, 15 years ago, it was a matter of uh, white rums trying to compete against Bacardi Superior, uh, which history has proven that, you know, that's a difficult battle to win. Thankfully, we've done a really great job with Bacardi Superior in establishing its dominance. And, uh, it, you know, if we want to talk from a corporate perspective, right, as a business, but really and truly, it's just it's great liquid. Consumers love it. We know how to put it out there for them to understand what, what the brand is all about. So that resonates very well. But uh, um, we've seen in the white rum space some some growth as well. So rather than seeing rums coming in with more balanced profiles to compete against Superior, we're seeing rums with funkier profiles, much more robust aroma and flavors, even in our own portfolio, like Banks and Facundo Nio, so that there's, there's more variety and diversity in the flavor offerings or in the profile offerings of white rums. We've seen the growth of, you know, not exponential, but we've seen the growth of cachaça in terms of awareness. We've seen the growth of rum agricole in terms of awareness. I apologize. I didn't mute the phone. Okay. It happens. <laughs> but we've seen we've seen the growth of those particular um, categories of, of cane spirits. In terms of the bartending community, obviously, uh, the best way to differentiate them from the general consumer base is that bartenders are much more uh, educated and that's because brands uh, invest a lot in getting them educated about the brands. So they tend to be years ahead of what the mass consumer is going to be, you know, not just recognizing and knowing, but also what they're drinking. So in the bar side of things from the bartending community, like the rum old fashioned became a thing eight, nine years ago, right? As the whiskey trends continued, uh, some bartenders wanted to be a little bit more unique, so they started offering more of the rum old fashions. And of course, this is not negating the fact that a rum old fashioned was always there uh, to begin with in terms of it, there were people making rum old fashions, but it trended about eight, mm-hmm. eight nine years ago. And it kind of opened the floodgates where now you see a lot more of those whiskey cocktails being made with rum. And yeah, they're both high sugar cocktails. So whiskey is especially bourbon. That's all corn. So it's high sugar. So they do kind of work hand in hand. I can see it. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's the, the, the sugar aspect is interesting because after distillation, you typically have no sugar, but the sweetness of the the fruitiness generated by by its feedstock. So the corn generates a and the rye a slightly sweeter flavor, especially the rye. Sure. And in rum, you tend to have a fruitier, more vanilla-driven flavor profile as well. And of course, that's not negating that some brands may add sugar. So that's let's let's keep that clear. But you're right, there is a synergy between both. And I would actually say that a lot of it may have to do even with the fact that we're using the same barrels. So, you know, a lot of rum brands out there, we're buying the the, the barrels that we're using to age the rum from American whiskey companies. Right, because so American whiskey can only use the barrels once. So what else are they going to do with that? Can I just burn them? So that makes perfect sense. What about some agricultural rums? Are there is that a big thing? I remember a few years ago, agricultural rums was was hitting it hard, and yeah. we don't hear that term as much. Or am I just not reading it as much? Well, you know, they definitely it's come a long way. That that is undeniable. You know, again, ten years ago one or two brands, very difficult to to find out information. Um, over the last 10, 10 years, you know, um, 
uh, folks like Ben Jones and his team, you know, over at uh, Rum Clement and, and JM, they've done a lot of education across um, Europe, across um, the U.S. And when it comes to the bartending community, definitely an uptick. And it's it's not trendy. It's something that that has held on and and been upheld. I would say that with the general consumer, it still it still has a lot of work um, to do ahead because. Uh, when you look at the profile that you typically find in, especially in the white rum agricole, and you take a look at cachaça, there's some similarities in those in those profiles and both categories. When we when you speak to folks, um, you know, people from those cultures, say you speak with Brazilians, you speak with French or uh, from the French islands, they tend to have affinity for those spirits. But then when you speak with someone that is more of the general consumer American here in the U.S., they may not even know that those categories exist, right? So um, there's still a lot of cate- uh, category awareness that they have to drive. But that's that's almost something that I can say for, for not just them, but also for anyone who's selling and putting out dark age rums, even ourselves, you know, with Bacardi, just to give you where we share some similitude with those, with those subcategories. In our case, it's that we're very known for Bacardi Superior. So we have a, a, a long road ahead of continuing to drive awareness of our dark premium rums, the older rums that many of our consumers don't know that we make. So there's a similitude there. So the category as a whole, when we talk about rum or cane spirits, has a lot of work to continue doing. We've come a long way. There's still a long road ahead. And there's a lot of, uh, a lot of great stuff for consumers to find and discover. Absolutely, David. It, it, we we love the Bacardi portfolio, and we love the quality that it brings to you know our partnership with the school. Uh, I always reflect a lot on in my culinary classes the wonderful pairing between food and and, yes. and beverages, and and the similarities that you get when you use super quality ingredients in food. You have a better chance of getting a super superior dish on the plate. My question to you is, what makes your super premium rums in way of ingredients or in process uh, different than your your everyday rum? And if you could speak to that, that would be helpful for our students and anyone else that's listening that's, that's trying to understand the difference between the two. Sure, absolutely. So I get this question quite a bit, right? What's different between your premium rums and, and your regular line? There's a lot of way to define premium. So an, a, an easy way to kind of take a look at it from a, from a you know marketing standpoint, if you will, it's a higher price point, right? And premium tends to kind of correlate with it's going to be more expensive. So the question then becomes, why is it more expensive, right? Why is your superior maybe at $12, $13, $14, $15? And then Facundo Paraiso is $250, $275 a bottle, right? We apply what we call a traditional undisturbed aging. You know, there are different ways that you can age a product in terms of the things you do while it's aging. So uh, what we do is we put rum in the barrel, we seal the barrel, that barrel is never disturbed. Uh, and we never refill it while it's aging. So that means that while rum is evaporating, water is evaporating from the barrel, when we open that barrel, we may get, you know, liquid. Um, if we wait too long, the barrel is going to be empty. We're going to lose everything. So the longer a barrel sits in an aging warehouse, the more rum you're going to lose over time. So what the best way for, to, to explain why our, our premium rums are more expensive, one of the main reasons is because the longer we wait, the more we lose, the more we lose, the less we have. So scarcity is really a big, big part of separating our premium rums from our 
younger rums. And a good example is Bacardi Superior is aged, well, not aged, but mellowed in oak. You can only say age after four years. So it's mellowed in American white oak for at least 12 months, right? And it may have 18-month-old, it may even have 24-month-old rum in the blend, but it, that's young, really, really speaking. And then we filter the color out, we balance the rum, and it's meant to be something that you enjoy on the rocks, maybe with a, with seltzer. But when you look in comparison to that, we may have only lost, you know, 10, 15, not, not even 15% of the barrel in evaporation, angel share. But then you look at our 10-year-old, and our 10-year-old, we lose anywhere from 8 to 12% per year um, from that, that barrel. That's money. That's, that's all money. it is. It's just money. Right. Money down the drain or money Absolutely. to the gods. The gods, the saints, they, you know, if, if you get to the pearly gates and nobody's at the door, they're over Puerto Rico drinking our rum. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so when you look at the 10-year-old, it's lost 55, 60% of the barrel. At that point, there's no way that the price points are even relatively uh, close to one another. The 10-year-old is definitely going to be much more expensive because we have so much, you know, evaporation take place. And the older we go, the less we even have. And in the case of Paraíso and the Facundo rum collection, for example, it has 23-year-old rum, undisturbed tropical aging. And just for the for the record, you know, tropical aging also refers to the fact that of that faster evaporation rate due to the higher temperatures and, you know, the humidity versus, say, Scotland, where you lose 2% and we're losing 10%. So the tropical aging in Paraíso for that 23-year-old, we may have lost anywhere from 90 to 100% of the barrel. So that rum is very, very scarce. And, you know, obviously the cost of the liquid that does remain has to cover everything we lost. So that's where you have this premiumness um, really come into play. So aging, scarcity, um, has a lot of a lot to play in that in that differentiation. That's amazing. So, what do you recommend purchasing? As far as if I want a sipping rum, I don't want to break the bank. I'm not. I'm probably not going to sip um, Superior. I, I'll I'll put it in my daiquiri. But what what's a good sipping rum that's not going to break the bank? That but I'm really getting like high quality stuff. Absolutely. Uh, there's a lot of great great. A lot of great rum to be discovered, and I would encourage anyone that's of drinking of, of drinking age, right? To, drinking uh, age, drinking age. Or make yes, sure we say that. First and foremost, drink responsibly, but um, to discover, to go out and discover. There's so much to discover. Uh, sometimes you don't have to buy the bottle, right? Um, if you're in in that discovery mode, go to your favorite bar and you know try different rums, be it from our portfolio or otherwise, because um, I think there's a lot of stuff, great stuff out there. In terms of buying a bottle. From our portfolio, we have amazing rums. We have not just the Bacardi brand. We have Santa Teresa. We have Banks. We have the Facundo Rum Collection. Uh, we even have Pirat now, which came with our acquisition of, um, of Patron. So we have some really great rum brands out there. Within Bacardi brand itself, I would recommend Bacardi 8, Bacardi 10. If you are someone who enjoys cocktails like uh, an old-fashioned and you also enjoy sipping Bacardi 8, Reserva 8, fantastic rum, has wonderful notes of butterscotch, dry stone fruits. It has a wonderful uh, hint of baking spices that is subtle. And then it has a hint of smokiness that really uh, rounds it off. It is a slightly sweeter, fruitier fruitier rum despite its age, but it's great on the rocks. It's great with cigars. It's great in in an old fashioned. If you're looking for something that's not as sweet with hints of caramelized fruit, not as smoky, but definitely a wonderful note of old oak, if you're, that's where Bacardi Gran Reserva Diaz comes into place. 
um, Bacardi Gran Reserva 10. Uh, that's a 10-year-old rum. say it so beautifully. I can't do that. <laughs> it rolls off the tongue, you know? Um, Gran Reserva 10, I had the pleasure of working on that blend with Maestro Manny Oliver and our current Maestro, Maestro Jose Gomez. And it's a wonderful, wonderful profile. It's not overly sweet. It's just that wonderful fruitiness, a little caramelized. Then the vanilla is more of a vanilla extract. It's not so much of a butterscotch or caramelized vanilla. And like I said, the oak is not so much about the smoke. It's about that wonderful, drier, um, smoky note. So it's more about the old oak flavor and aroma. Uh, great on its own. Some folks enjoy it on the rocks. I love it neat. Um, it's, it, it has enough warmth on the palate that it, it, it has character and it's engaging, but it's not burning. It's not astringent. Uh, we did a really good job. Maestro Gomez did an amazing job balance, balancing that rum. So, And you're talking about, I believe, $30 on the Bacard, Bacardi 8 side, the Bacardi 8. And I believe that's somewhere between $40 and $45 for Bacardi Gran Reserva Diaz. So, you know, in comparison to some of our other older brands like or Marks, like uh, Bacardi Reserva Limitada, that's $100 a bottle. The Facundo Rum Collection, you know, they're almost all above $80. Uh, so uh, you have one, the Neo, which is the white one at $40, but then Eximo is about $70. And then um, Esquisito and Paraiso are above $150. So, the, you know, Ocho and Diaz, I think, play in a wonderful spot where you're not breaking the bank. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I, I'm happy to say, uh, David, that I do have a bottle of Ocho in my in my bar inventory, and I and do enjoy sipping on that. So I think that's an excellent recommendation. Mm -hmm. I we've got to try some of the rums from the Facundo collection, and I think uh, so. Nathan's every time I go to the opportunity. Uh... Yeah, every time yeah. I go to a liquor store and I need to get a bottle of vodka or whatever, I'll, I'll usually pick up either a bottle of rum or a bottle of scotch just to keep adding to the collection. And then I come home and my wife's like, what? you went to get a, a fifth of vodka. Why do you have seven bottles? Like, <laughs> I don't know. See, I just kind of need it sometimes. You're, you're a curious individual. But, but, she, exactly. but she'll help you drink Science it, Nate. She'll, she'll help you drink it. If, and if not her, then Brian and I. Exactly. Someone so, will drink it with me. Right. Someone will drink it. Uh, so, so David, I, I also, in addition to rums, I love wines and I go to wine tastings. And I think for me, that's the best way to get educated about wine. Yes. Practice and learning, right. To continue that. Is there any place, uh, locally in, in South Florida or the, the places where you're seeing that are doing, that are doing rum tastings and doing them well? Uh, I think that's the best way to get a, education about rums and um, when we have live classes it's something obviously that we'll intend to do with our students but is there a place where you see them doing that on the retail level things are a little bit so, different right so it's i think of, it's something missing it's something yeah. missing we see plenty of wine tastings out there but i don't see rum or other spirits tastings Sure. Uh, uh, you know, obviously in liquor stores uh, on any given day, and of course you can speak with the management to see what the calendar uh, looks like. It's a great place to 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 sample because brands do, uh, you know, what we call off-premise sampling, right? The, re the, the liquor store retail sampling programs. And then there's a few retailers specifically that have, you know, um, education rooms, right? Tasting rooms, and they, they do everything from wine to spirits. So rum might be embedded into their educational programs for consumer. In terms of the on-premise, like, um, you know, bars and restaurants, I know for I know that uh, uh, there's a restaurant in Midtown run, that's run by Daniele de la Pola, 
one of the world's most renowned, you know, tiki experts and, and rum aficionado. And I, I believe it's called Exotico. And they do a, they have a huge rum, rum collection. I know that uh, Café La Trova also has a really good uh, rum selection. And they're also very fond of rum. Obviously, Cuban-born Julio Cabrera runs that, that spot. That's his, his, his place. And he's very fond of rum. So he does a really good job in his team in terms of educating you on the different rums that they offer and what to find. And, and also, I, there's in Fort Lauderdale, a famous uh, tiki joint, which is... The Mai Kai. The Mai Kai. Thank you. I we was, just had the uh, GM interviewed a couple weeks ago. So. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. I, about, I was about to say Maiki, but that's in London. So it's uh, it's uh, I get everything kind of confused sometimes. But yes, in Fort Lauderdale. So um, they... They are extremely renowned for being one of the utmost rum bars in, in all of Southern Florida. So a rich history uh, serving the category. So in terms of bars and restaurants that, that do kind of educate you when you walk in through their doors, those are three that come to mind. In That's terms fine. of, you know, I agree with you. I think there's a broader opportunity for sort of the pop-up rum tastings. I think that one of the challenges there is just that because the ABV is different from wine, there's some regulations that you have to follow with with spirits that tends to be a little bit different. But we've done it with whiskeys, right? We've seen it with whiskey around the country. So it's just a matter of, you know, finding the right people with the right knowledge and just having them go out there and, and do more of those tastings. Yeah, I, th- I think I think those are the things that will really help the spirits world. And if we find more places like the places that you mentioned, we're in great shape. So thank you for those recommendations. I know Crown Wine and Spirits used to do like a whiskey thing every year. And I haven't, I don't know if they've done a rum one, but I went to the whiskey thing once and they had like 95 from bottles they were tasting. It was a, it was tough. It was really they difficult. Did, they did tequila. Uh, you know. they, they've done a tequila. Just make sure you Uber. Yeah. Drink I don't know how, I, 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 yeah. Should we say that? I don't know how I know that, but I, I read somewhere. <laughs> Well, in, well, now that you mentioned festivals, there's a few in Florida run by different people. Um, the one that I, parti- I partook in last year, it was new to the U.S., but it's actually from Spain, which is the International Rum Conference. So they brought it to the U.S. last year, uh, September, for the first time, and it was held at the Biltmore uh, Hotel. Uh, this year, Beautiful obviously... backdrop. Absolutely. It's a, it was a beautiful, beautiful show. They did an amazing job. And uh, they, they're skipping this year because of COVID. But I would say look out for, for the different rum festivals that are also, uh, there are at least three that come to mind, International Rum Conference being one of them. It, you know, you probably pay anywhere between, you know, $35 and $100 a ticket, but then you'll have, you'll be exposed to not just the rum, because obviously you want to taste the rum, but you'll be exposed to perhaps the people who actually physically make the rum, which I think is a great opportunity. I mean, you pay $100 a ticket and you get to meet, you know, 20, 25, 100 master blenders, master distillers, male, female from different parts of, of the world um, that are being celebrated at the festival. I think the, that's a, that's an amazing. It's definitely worth the price of entry at any show where where you have master distillers and master blenders present. Absolutely. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, Brian, normally you've so got Brian. some fun <laughs> questions. So, Brian. Yeah, I do. We're going to... We're going to have some fun. Can you guys hear me as I'm sailing away? So we're going to have some good questions regarding that. Can you guys hear me? I can, can hear you. All right. Cool. So uh, last week we had uh, Juan on as well as Chef Irie. And uh, we were talking about if you were stranded 
on a tropical island, what will you have? Now, uh, since I'm sailing away from my little island here, I want to kind of focus these questions on, you're coming back from that island, and what's going to be your first? Right, what is going to be your first? So, David, these are kind of fun questions. I'll incorporate the boys as well. But we're going to start this out pretty easy. So after being stranded on a desert island, finally back on the mainland, David, what's going to be your first cocktail? Uh, believe it or not, Bacardi and, and club soda. Uh, one to two split, Bacardi Superior. It's going to be refreshing, crisp. It's going to have a hint of sweetness, a small hint of vanilla. And it won't, so it won't kill my taste buds, but it'll give me flavor and it'll hydrate me as I get back from that deserted island. <laughs> great. Uh, Nathan Dodge, what's going to be the cocktail? I'll probably be enjoying it on the desert island, but I, you know, I like the, um, the Hemingway. So that yeah. nice lime daiquiri with a little twist of uh, grapefruit in it. That's my favorite. Mm. Someone's going to be very refreshing. <laughs> John Noble Massey, what's going to be that cocktail when you first get back you know, to dry land? You know, David inspired me to uh, reimagine the rum old fashioned. So that sounds just, just lovely. Really? I, I like that one. Yeah. You know, so we, we talked about the, the Mai Kai. We had a great interview a couple of weeks back with that as a legendary tiki bar. But I'm curious, what's going to be the first restaurant or bar but restaurant or bar you're going to visit when you get back to dry land david what's going to be the first on your list anywhere in the world where's it, where's it going to be wow you have really complicated this for me uh, <laughs> not because listen I, I i can i can keep talking rum but I'll, I'll tell you what there's a small place in chicago it's a family-owned joint argentine restaurant they don't really serve cocktails um but the churrasco and uh, la entraña that they serve is the best i've ever had so it's called yandu and it's uh, it's in chicago uh, in logan square uh, east logan square so that's probably where i go and have a nice entraña with spanish rice and uh maybe i'm on the side <laughs> perfect perfect john noble massey what's that restaurant or bar you're going to visit right away well Anywhere it's the, the place world. it's the place that's your favorite right and it's you know, I'm tossed between Tucci's Pizza, coal-fired here in Boca, or the place that I've been to with you, Bouchon, out in Vegas, and for some foie gras. So, uh, uh, but, pizza, but pizza's my wheelhouse. I'll stick with Tucci's coal-fired pizza. Yum-o-licious. Perfect. I like that one. Interesting. Nathan Dodge, what's going to be that bar or restaurant? I'm going to get stranded back on an island and do either Sloppy Joe's or uh, Captain Tony's. Captain Tony's. I like that one. I like that one. That's pretty good. Uh, so I just left my favorite bar, Mahogany Shoals. So I'm going with Nathan. I'll go, I'll go back to the island, back to Mahogany Shoals, and uh, get to see all my friends again. So that was always good. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, one final one on that. And uh, you can have an island flair or a non-island flair. Uh, and I know you guys were talking a little bit about food. So we're going to bring this back to the island, though. What's going to be that one island dish that you guys think's or believe pairs perfectly. Uh, whatever cocktail you want, or in John, your case, wine, I'm recovering some on you as well. Well, what's yeah. going to be that one dish? And this is a little bit of a setup here, just so you guys know, but what's going to be that one favorite dish that you think pairs perfectly with a cocktail? David? Puerto Rico, we have a, a pork chop dish called chuleta cancan, which is a porterhouse cut pork chop with the ribs still attached and the pork belly still attached in its braised for a few hours then it's flash fried before it serves so that you get the crunch and normally we have a guava sauce with it so and then rice so um i think that those flavors especially once you incorporate the guava great with rum cocktails 
Oh, I love it. Love it. John, what do you think on island dishes? I know you spend a lot of time uh, down on island as well. You know, oh, I, I, I love all the islands, uh, but I'll uh, pay tribute to my friends in Jamaica with some really well done jerk and yeah. pigeon peas and rice. There yeah, go. there you go. Nathan Dodge, where are you going to go with that one? So when I do go to the islands, normally it's the Keys because, you know, I don't know a boat or anything. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's what I do. It's yellowtail, a uh, little bit of olive oil, a little bit of greens, throw it on the grill, holes, pull fish. That's the only way to cook yellowtail. Don't need to do anything else with it. Don't need to marinate. Just, just lately grill it. and That's good stuff. So, David, I thought you were going to go like mofungal. I was going, what is, what is going to pair up Ooh. with mofungo in that one, though? Uh, but yeah. I tell you one thing like, was, as long as the mofongo is next to a chuleta cancan <laughs> <laughs> i love it i love it you know i'm gonna go a little bit of ceviche because even last week up here in rhode island i got thrown on the dock with a bunch of striped bass they said connors make a ceviche real quick and sometimes there's nothing better than the freshest fish you can get some fresh lime just a little bit of a uh, red onion right on the dock i Dodge, you would have been so proud of me. A little chili. Right on the duck. Mm. Oh, yeah. The red chili, pepper flake, a little salt and pepper. That's it. And uh, nothing better than that with a little uh, rum and soda. I'm going to take one out of David's book on there with some fresh, fresh lime. Right Man, no, but it was fun. And it was, we were just having one of those great days. The guys went out fishing in the morning and I was already on the dock. Uh, and we just filleted the fish up and I made ceviche right on the spot. Nothing better than that. And that always brings me back home. So that's what I got going on with that one. I love that stuff, guys. I didn't want to bring up Bob Marley again like we did last week. But because I knew everyone would be like, oh, yeah, Bob Marley. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, all good. So, uh, Ira's been posting nothing but Bob Marley stuff on Facebook ever since we talked about it. So that's kind of awesome. Awesome. Nathan Dodge, you got any closing comments, sir? Uh, you know, normal stuff. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, two bar stools and a knife. Go on iTunes, give us a review. Tell us you like us, especially how much you like John Noble Massey and how you think he's the bomb, like we got last week. Um, follow us all on Instagram. Um, we will make sure we get David's Instagram stuff out there so you can follow all of his great creations. And that's about all I got. You got it. John Noble Massey, what you got cooking? Thanks so much to David for joining us today. Really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, bonjour to our French listener <laughs> and welcome back by this time that our, our students and and we will be back in class so welcome back to FIU welcome back. fall semester perfect David I'll tell you one thing thank you and also I'm really looking forward to having you in the classroom you're going to be an amazing addition to the Bacardi Center of Excellence your knowledge base is just incredible hence why they call you master I like that. Maestro. Maestro David. Maestro David. Maestro. I'm coming coming back to dry land too, and I got to re enter back into reality here. So, uh, David, thank you again. That was a great show, guys. Thank Thank you, guys. Have a good one.